Hello, I'm Toby Haydock. Well, there'll be hardly any links on this one because it was a really good interview and I don't want to cut any more of it. It's a sunny day here in London and another kind lady has met me at Euston Station, so I'm going to ask her to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. Yes, well, hello. My name is Margot Hayhoe, and I have been in television for a very long time. I ended up as an associate producer, but I started off at the BBC as a secretary and went on to doing Doctor Who's as an AFM and production manager, and I was one of the few people, I think, who had worked with all five of the first Doctors, and I worked on seven different Doctor Who stories. That's a pretty good statistic. So, um, so what attracted you to the, the fledgling industry? What attracted me to the fledgling industry, I suppose, was because I went to a stage school called the Arts Educational, and I did my very first television at the age of 13. Uh, I was interviewed when the television centre was a hole in the ground and we were interviewed in a caravan in what was part of the design block now. I got the part um, in a play that was done live at Lime Grove called African Holiday Uh, and in it was one of my schoolmates, Annika Willis, who was well known and went on to be one of the companions. Because I was working in television at Lime Grove live in Studio G, I was so excited about the whole business of the television industry. To me, that was the most exciting in the world to do. And from then on, I decided that's what I wanted to get into. And it took me quite a few years to get into it, having done more televisions and film and theatre. But I retired from that at the grand old age of 20, did a secretarial course, and got my wish and came into television. Did you not, having started performing, did you not ever miss being on, in front of the camera? No, no, I didn't. I knew my limitations as an actress. I decided, because I'm only four foot ten, although this hasn't stopped lots of people getting on, that it might be a slight hindrance to be playing the romantic lead in lots of things, and that I'd only probably be a character actress, which I wouldn't get until I was much, much older. But I preferred the actual making of television programmes. I just thought the whole thing was so exciting. So that's why I switched. Well, and the first time you got in touch with uh, Doctor Who was interesting. You shared the job with Lovett Bickford. Is that because you're the same size? I don't know. Uh, uh, On the war machines for Mike Ferguson. Well, that's correct. Um, The reason I was put on that was because it was my very first go at being an AFM. And they, they said, you had to trail somebody. That was the only training as such you got. So I trailed him. And he showed me how to do a markup. Um, Love it was very funny because he decided that his feet were exactly the same length as a foot on a tape measure. So he walked, paced out the set, and I went behind him with the coloured tapes and put it down. So that's why I was working with Lovett. And from that, that was for Michael Ferguson, another lovely director, and we did that with William Hartnell. And dear William. We had to be very, very careful with him, as I'm sure you've heard from lots of other people. Uh, he, he was very old. He was very tired. Um, and he could get extremely grumpy. 
So you have to be incredibly careful that nobody sat on his chair at rehearsals. It's William's chair. <laughs> Get your head bitten off if you. Uh, and also in the War Machines was um, Annika Wills, of course, and Michael Craze. So. Yes, uh, well, basically I knew Annika, as I say, through um, school, the Arts Educational, so it was lovely to work with her. She's a lovely girl. Uh, Michael Craze uh, was a charming boy, um, but I think it was his brother I worked with, Peter, Peter. Craze, uh, when I was on doing, as an acting, when I was doing Peter Pan, and he was one of the, Michael, one of the boys in, in Peter Pan. Uh, very nice people. I, well, I can't remember now, actually, whether it was Peter or Michael who married Edwina. Edwina it was Michael who married Michael Edwina, yeah. who married Edwina, who was a, a wonderful um, production manager at the BBC. And they went off, I think, and ran a pub at yeah. one stage, didn't they? Yeah. She was, they were all very lovely people. John Cater was a great joy to work with. Uh, he, was, he was quite serious, quite a serious actor about his craft. But on the War Machines, my only claim to fame on that was they had to have these computers uh, as part of the, the setting. And the, the, the computer reels, those big computer reels I had in those days, had to go be turned around. And I was the right height to go be hidden behind these machines and turn the reels. So, in fact, I seem to spend quite a lot of my career on television, yes. assistant floor manager, on my knees, either under tables queuing people or making machines work. So actually we could say that you you played Votan because you, you spun his styles. I, I was Votan. <laughs> um, well, of course, and there's definitely, you definitely will have been on uh, location for your next story. The location of your next story was um, at the seaside and on some oil rigs because was it Fury from the Deep, a favourite and a lost classic of Doctor Who? Yes, a very sadly lost. It really was quite a powerful story um, with the wonderful Patrick Charlton, who, dare I say it, was my favourite Doctor of all time. I think mostly because I adored Patrick Charlton. He was such a, a lovely actor to work with. Um, but it was enormous fun to do, completely crazy. And it was the director was also one of my favourites, and that was Hugh David. Um, absolutely amazing. I think it possibly helped that he had been an actor uh, at one part of his career. He had a, a very clear vision he, of what he wanted to do. He was able to communicate that with everybody. And he was also excellent with the actors because he had been an actor. But he'd made, he'd take, as far as I could understand, because I was only the lowly assistant floor manager in those days, but he had gone to a lot of trouble to understand the technicalities of how to make it and how to make it an exciting show and how to keep everybody involved. And I think that is what's so important with a really, really good director. They will make you feel that you've been able to contribute to what um, they want to achieve and without sort of saying, no, no, that's total rubbish and I'm going to do it my way, even if they still do it just their way, at least they bother to listen to you and listen to everybody and take on board how things could be done. And I found that with another wonderful director I worked with called Stuart Burge, who is uh, absolutely amazing. And I I did um, uh, something called Old Men at the Zoo with him as his uh, production manager 
and he was wonderful because he was a short person but you'd see him surrounded by all the technicians and the actors and everybody was trying to help Stuart to get what he wanted and he was so clever because we knew he knew exactly how he was going to do it but he had this, this charm and this ability to make you want to give as the best you could for him whereas some of the maybe lesser directors I won't see who wouldn't listen to you and, and just wanted to go their way the other person of course involved with Fury from Deep was Michael Bryant or Michael E. Bryant I should say to give him his full title who was the production manager and I spent many a happy time driving down to the coast with Michael driving and me trying to keep him awake because he had to work so hard on that show so he'd just say, sing to me, Margot, sing to me, <laughs> to keep them awake. Because we were very small. I think people don't realise quite how small the production teams were in those days on doing uh, any television serial series in the late 60s, 70s. You'd, you'd have your director, your um, production manager, assistant, first assistant, they're called. Now, um, the assistant floor manager and the director's assistant who had to type the camera script. There was just the four of you, really, to start off. And we were quite often trying to do things of um, big consequence, big movie-type film shoots with just this tiny, tiny staff. And I sometimes look back and think, how on earth did we do it when you look at the huge amount of people that are now involved in making these shows? Well, um, during the course of these podcasts, I've discovered that, you know, the acting business is a a fickle beast and you have some actors who shine for a couple of decades and then uh, fall on harder times. And there was a great contributor to Fury from the Deep um, who went under the name the BBC Foam Machine, who got a lot of work on Doctor Who in the 60s and then never seemed to be employed by Doctor Who again. But um, uh, uh, difficult to wrangle foam in a studio? Uh, wrangling foam in the studio is a, is a nightmare. <laughs> so we had um, uh, wonderful times trying to get the foam contained. Uh, we went off to um, Ealing Film Studios to do the main bursting of the foam upon the set sequence. And it was chaotic, I must admit. Total chaos. Very funny. I don't, you know, I laughed a lot after a lot on that show and Peter Day uh, who I don't know whether you've interviewed Peter who's a he's still around he is, he is, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. a wonderful wonderful visual effects man but uh, yes I think he probably was beginning to wish he'd never discovered this <laughs> this way of creating foam and we did get lots of phone calls afterwards about how we'd ruined the floor at um, Ealing Film Stages and we did try and have some up in Lime Grove I think we did at Lime Grove that uh, some of the episodes there we had a lot of flack about trying to get this foam out of the way. And, and actually, poor old Peter did have a horrible time. I can remember him having an almost panic attack when he was in this tube dressed up as the um, monster flaying around because he literally didn't know how he was going to get out of the tube because totally blinded you know, and losing air. It was quite suffocating in a way. Horrible. <laughs> Dangerous business Dangerous being a weed business. creature. Yes. Uh, and uh, and what was it about Troughton? And I mean, you said he was. Not, was he anything like his doctor? Because he seems to be one of those chameleon-like actors that you never quite know what he was like as a as a fe- as a fellow. Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that one about uh, 
Patrick. He was he was a very true actor. I think that's what I liked about him. That you, sometimes you could you could see perhaps you could see William Hartnell working at being the Doctor, and with John Pertwee, it was it was probably a very flamboyant and John Pertwee sort of Doctor. Was you actually felt with Patrick that he was the Doctor, the, the reality in the performance and, and with any performance he gave. <laughs> I always felt that was true. And if you saw him in The Omen, it was totally believable about who he was. And he came and did um, something he had to call The Devil's Crown, and he playing in this um, medieval king or something, can't remember, or knight. And you believed in this character. And it was the truth, the truth in the performances that used to get me. And also because he was so lovely to work with. I think that's why lots of people rather liked him. And he had this, in- this incredibly dour face. So you think you were going to be quite frightened by him, and you, and you weren't. It's charm itself. And as you say, he was taken out. He, 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 the, the actor that took over for him from him was John Pertwee, uh, for whom you worked on another favourite of mine, uh, which is The Ambassadors of Death, uh, again for Michael Ferguson, a big production with lots of stunts, and like Fury from the Deep, also has John Abenary in it. Uh, John Abenary was lovely, but um, Ambassadors of Da, 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 death, <laughs> which we did with um, Michael Ferguson, was what I called definitely boys' toys, with all the um, helicopters and the motorbikes and all the location filming. And there again, you had uh, another mad uh, production manager. Sorry, not mad. A great character, and sadly, I believe, has now died. And that was Nick John, who's uh, Caroline John's brother. And just to digress, I discovered that both Nick and myself must have played on the same beach when I was a child at Pagham. Because we, my parents had this um, bungalow at Pagham, which was made out of railway carriages. And so did Nick John and his family. They had one about ten doors along. Oh, how funny. And I can remember this because it had a big Union Jack flagpole outside it and I can remember them playing around and we were playing around and we sometimes all played together and of course that was years and years and years before we ever met each other working at the BBC <laughs> so, sorry I'm just about that no that's, that's a good no one that's is all good I like all that, that. Yeah. Um, but he, he was a he was a charming chap as well and the, you know the um, ambassador of death I thought Michael was very very clever director very very inventive and he would push the limitations. And because he'd been a production manager and come up through the ranks, he knew what could be achieved and what couldn't. So he'd always try that a little bit harder. And he had some very inventive shots using periscopes and periscope mirrors to get top shots looking down. And also um, we had to get this forklift truck, I can remember, to have John Pertwee allegedly on a lift going up. I can't remember quite in the story, but there you go. He was... Uh, on this blue CSO type. Oh, yes, it's when he lands this on the planet. planet yes. Yeah. Which was very clever. Oh, so First time that had been used, yes. He steps out, yes. he steps out it's and it's a... It's a forklift truck. It's a forklift truck. Ah. Yes. So, yeah, very clever. clever. Very cunning, clever stuff going on there. There is a Pertwee I did, but I've not credited on it. Um, and that was 
Terror of the Autons, Ooh, I think it was called. Good, because I haven't got an anecdote from Terror of the Autons. So, Terror of the Autons. Terror of the Autons. Barry Letts directed. Barry Letts directing. Roger Delgado's Roger, debut. Lovely Roger Delgado. Oh, another lovely actor who I'd worked with before, or I worked with him after. Can't remember which, not as the master. Uh, it was also Katie Manning's first. Yes. The very first one. And the reason I was doing it was because Nick John was supposed to be production um, managing it, but he had a cold, or he, had, so he was ill the week of the recording. So I had to go to... Um, I had to go to the rehearsals and get the last day of rehearsals and then go into the studio with it and run the studio. And that's when I found out how short-sighted I think Katie would say that, would admit that she is... And because she didn't... I don't think she was wearing contact lenses. And she doesn't wear glasses. And so I had a great time again trying to cue Katie for anything. And that was another time when I was stuck under a table, you know, having to touch her leg to make sure... Because she couldn't see the signals. she couldn't see the signals. Brilliant. And, and, and that, was, that was the one also where we had this um, frightening... Um, sofa, yeah. plastic sofa. We had, to, you know, obviously it was done in reverse. I think, yeah. you know, that uh, that was an amazing effect. Quite scary. I, th- I always think some of the things we did were very scary for young children. Well, I think watch. they got into trouble for that one because there was the killer were, sofa, the yes. killer daffodils. Yes, the terrifying autumns. <laughs> ter- yes. So, can you understand yeah, the, uh, the the reason Doctor occasionally gets into trouble? Well, yes. <laughs> Actually, I thought one of the most frightening ones I, I did was Fury from the Deep. With the the two characters, um, is it Oak, Oak and, and Quill? Quill yeah. Yes, and that scene the big, with the open yes, with the open mouths and really scary. Really, I think really that's scary. the scariest scene they ever did for Doctor Who. I, I quite agree because with you, of the way yes. his eyes. Yes, Bill Bill Burridge. Bill Burridge yeah. Yes, Bill Burridge and John Bascom John, or John, John Gill. Gill. John Gill. John Gill. That's the little short fat yeah. one. Yes, they're great characters. Great characters. Very scary. Yeah. And so then you have quite a while off Doctor Who. Oh, yes. Uh, and you return yes. for Tom Baker's Swan Song. Yes, yes, Tom Baker's Swan Song. Legopolis. Legopolis for Peter Grimwade. Yes. Yes, this was very exciting to do that. Um, we had a lovely trip up to Jodrell Bank uh, on that to do some research on the big radio telescopes because we had hoped we might be able to go and film there. Um, but no, they wouldn't let us. But at least we had a good tour around and got good references, uh, especially good reference for the model that they made of the radio telescope, which we took out on location. This little tiny, tiny model, which when it's put in the foreground of the camera, looks enormous, you know, and you see everything in the background. It's all very clever. I like those sort of things. Yeah, he was yes. a good director, Grimwade, although yes, not, so Grimwade. not one of those who's an actor's director, from no. what I'm told. No, no, I don't. I wouldn't say he was particularly. He was very intense, Peter. He was one of those. I'm very. I was quite fond of Peter, but he was one of those people that would come and stand right up beside you and stare into your eyes and and, and talk, and he'd always sort of want to take a step <laughs> back because <laughs> of the intensity of it somehow. But of course, he was a good. You know, he was a writer as well, but he, and writes he, wrote some of them. He did write some yes. some episodes, but he's so yes. visual. His, his shot composition visual, yes. is great, yes. and he he gives something that's slightly less definable, which is atmosphere. All of his stories mm. have an atmosphere to them. And yeah. the Gophis is quite doom laden, but I guess that's it's partially because uh, they build up for losing um, Tom. Yeah, from it, I think. So yes. was there was was there a 
because I mean at that point he oh, was yeah. the definitive longest serving oh, longest doctor was the Rafaelian yes. it was the end of an era I, th- I don't know why I was very pleased about that it was his last episode because he had quite a reputation of being not the easiest of people to work with and I was thinking oh dear I'm not sure about doing this one but you know well it's his last one so never mind and and did it and it charmed himself absolutely fine you know I think I think by that time he was probably quite relieved that he was leaving the show and handing it over to somebody else uh, that that was when you were asking earlier uh, you were asking earlier about filming in London uh, and on that of course it was Tegan's Janet Fielding's uh, first outing I think yeah, I'm right in saying uh, so we had a lot of filming in London going on because she starts off the episode leaving her house her aunt's house in Battersea, I think it was, going off to Heathrow Airport. Air you, know whose, you know whose house that was? I do know, because <laughs> I had to find it. And I remember knocking on the door, and I said, excuse me, I've come to... And I said, oh, it's you. <laughs> it's John Flanagan and um, Andrew... Andy McCulloch. And Andy McCulloch. And uh, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> there they were trying to write some episode for something or other and who should knock on the door but a BBC production manager saying please can we ruin your day and use your house you know so, so Tegan's <laughs> house belongs to the writer of Megalos yes <laughs> which is nice totally, totally unexpected just no by idea. coincidence just by coincidence and I was thinking oh this is a really bad place to choose because you're right on a fly path and, but it fitted in very nicely with the fact that we had to film on one of the bridges across the Thames and land the TARDIS on one of the um, boat float things. Uh, and that was quite good fun, having... Oh, I can't remember, what was he called? The Seeker or the Searcher? The Watcher. The Watcher. This man all swathed in, in white bandages. So there you have him up on the bridge, looking down at the TARDIS, and us looking back up at him, and all these people wondering, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Great fun. And, really well, and, you, and you followed it with the next story chronologically, although it was, yes. was actually filmed a bit afterwards. Which So you went from the end of one Doctor to the beginning of another. That's right, with the lovely Peter Davison on Castrovalva. Yeah, so of course we did the, the changeover, the, the last episode of Logopolis. We had to swap over the actors and do the lock-off camera business and in the pops. It took quite a long time to do that one for some reason. I don't know why, but it did. And uh, then this lovely Peter Davison wakes up and off we go for another adventure. But, of course, he, as most people know, he had recorded a, a few other episodes beforehand, beforehand to, yeah. to just to get him into the part. Uh, but that was fun, doing the, the filming for Castrovalva, uh, which we did down in Kent. Fiona Cumming was the director on that, and she had a fear of heights. And she was determined that nobody would have to go up anywhere that she wouldn't go up. And I've been very impressed that she managed to climb up on the top of this rock, shaking away, <laughs> saying, look, it's perfectly all right. <laughs> but Peter Davis, and I remember we were going, doing his very first sort of scene where he falls out of the TARDIS on some estate, uh, which belonged to the... Delawares of the Delaware Pavilion. And I remember wrecking the location and going up to this stately house, sort of, and asking, "Excuse me, could you please tell me 
uh, to this garden? Where is where is the uh, person I could speak to, the estate manager or something, to see if we could use your place for a location for Doctor Who? And this this chap said, "Well, I'm the owner. Can I help you?" <laughs> Could you not tell because the true classy ones don't look like this? They know, they know. They always look like the gardeners. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it was on that estate, I think, as a result of the hospitality that Matthew Waterhouse was famously ill. Yes, he was not well on that day. uh, I remember having great difficulty finding him, and you just sort of had to follow the sounds of hurling behind the the bushes and say, oh, yes. And it was lovely. Yeah, so you enjoyed working with Jack Fielding? Yes, I thought she was a very feisty gardener. That was another lovely one where we had to, the where we had to do all this business um, by the side of the road when they had the puncture. She oh, has yes. a puncture and she has to change it, and then people come along and the, uh, the lovely Tom Georgeson was a lovely actor. I really liked him. And we was on this dreadful bypass. I had to find on the I think it was the A one three four somewhere in Buckinghamshire because we couldn't do the real. TARDIS uh, police box, the only existing one, which was up off the A1 or the A something up in Barnet, because it's far too noisy, so we had to go down to this one on, in Buckinghamshire. It's just off and, Denham, isn't it? Oh, yes, near Denham, yes. Location spotting. I know, I thought, oh yes, this is a, you know, this is a nice big wide lay-by and we can do it all there. Um, we had to have the scene where the, the watcher was watching them uh, from across the field. And I couldn't get permission. I couldn't find anybody who actually owned this field. And you're always supposed to get the permission from everybody for anything you use. And in the end, we just had to sort of throw him over the fence <laughs> and hope he'd be all right and he wouldn't get caught. He'd get shot by a farmer. And then we jump to your last uh, who, which is one that I seem to be gathering everyone from. I'm, I'm doing well with snake dance, but nonetheless... It's another of my favourites. That was with an amazing woman called Hilary Sester. Oh, yes. Who played the sort of um, the uh, fortune, fortune teller. teller. She has amazing eyes. She's, she's always getting letters in The Guardian. Yes, she, she writes a lot, I think, about things. Yeah, she was good. But that was Preston Lockwood uh, played some sort of Don't yogic yeah. sort of person. And, and, of course, it had snakes, real snakes in it. And both Preston and... Uh, Peter can't stand snakes so we had to use these little tiny tiny garter snakes which are totally harmless um, instead of using great big menacing looking snakes which was a bit of a pity but uh, that was fun we had to do that in Ealing because we didn't want them to escape and go around the television centre might do quite a lot of snakes in the television centre so it wouldn't make much difference <laughs> no. but then the rest of it was done in the studio with a lovely some great design work. Lovely, yes. um, and um, quite a young cast of Jonathan Morris and Jonathan, Martin very Clunes. pretty Jonathan Morris and the lovely Martin Clunes in this amazing outfit sort of all gold lame and uh, his big ears sticking out it was very sweet he was really lovely I don't think he knew what had hit him, mind you. <laughs> so, you know, there was the son of this amazing Shakespearean actor, Alec Clunes. And there he was, you know, in this lovely Doctor Who. And a lovely Scottish actress whose name... Colette O'Neill. Colette O'Neill, who's very statuesque and lovely. And, and I think, is that the one with um, Anthony Ainley, who was the master in it? Was, oh, no, no, he was I in that, he was in Castrovalgo. Castrovalgo, yes, he, yes. 
Tell me about Anthony, because he's quite an enigmatic figure. Yes, he was, he was very strange, and he was obviously very thrilled, I think, to be the master. He quite enjoyed that. But, of course, he was very precious about his, dare I say, about his toupee. He used to pretend he didn't have one. And uh, it was always a bit strange, because he would say, well, you know, we're going to have to sort of change your appearance now, and you'll have to wear this sort of wig. And, oh, 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 I don't know about this. <laughs> So, yes. but he was very sweet. Yes, yes so obviously it's it's scandalous just to people. concentrate on Doctor Who. Yes. Oh, well, no, so, no, so no, what have been what have been your other or your your highlights? Oh, well, the ones that stick out, I think, would be um, definitely War and Peace uh, with Anthony Hopkins and Alan Doby. And Colin uh, Baker also pops up in. Yes, which a lovely Colin Baker was indeed pops up in. Which is why I was rather sad I never worked with him as a Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, and he played the rather arrogant uh, young prince in that. Uh, but that was an amazing production. It took over a year to make. Um, we went off to Yugoslavia, or what was called Yugoslavia in those days, and had the, their equivalent of the territorial army. Uh, so we had a whole week of a thousand soldiers as extras on that, covering the hills outside Belgrade. And it's, it's, it's quite a vision when you're used to perhaps having a maximum of 50 extras on anything. Mm. You suddenly have these thousand. We, we had lots of Yugoslavian assistants because none of us spoke uh, the language to corral them into places. And things. But, you know, costume and makeup would have to start about half past four. And Christine Rawlings, of course, was one of the costume assistants on that, where I, I know her from. Um, and lovely John Davis, another Who's lovely director. Who's also directed Doctor Who. He directed Who's, the yes, Macra Terror. Macra Terror, yes. Who, of course, came through the ranks. And started on uh, United and things like that. And uh, said cars, which I do with him and love a big friend. <laughs> it's another show that I really enjoyed doing was Dare the Triffids. Oh, yes. And I've also got a lovely photo of myself on a day that I cried a night shooting that I cried with laughter at where the Triffids are attacking the farm where John Dutteen as a hero is holed up and they're trying to get out and the Triffids are all surrounding it and trying to break in and there's myself, Corinne Hollingworth who is the um, AFM and it was now then became executive producer on EastEnders and things and the design assistant all holding the head of a Triffid bashing away at this... Uh, <laughs> this link fence in the middle of the night in Sussex in the pouring rain and cold and I literally I fell backwards with laughter at the ridiculous <laughs> image of us all <laughs> trying to achieve this it's a lovely show that. it's a good show it's a good show it's a good show, well, it's it's a good show. he was good another one is gone I'm afraid yeah. thank you for your memories I'll ask you to nominate a charity oh well there's about two or three that one could go through. There's, you know, there's Watery, there's Help for Heroes, there's the Star, Royal Star and Garter. But I think the one I'd like to nominate in particular for this one is um, Caroline John's son, Ben Beavers, is doing a sponsored cycle or a walk or something for Princess Alice Hospice. And I think you can get to it through Help for Hospices as a charity. And I think as this has been about Doctor Who, that would be really nice if Caroline John's memory... Uh, is helped for the charity for the hospice. I think that's more than apt. And um, 
we have talked about other things, and I'm glad we have, because I always feel slightly ashamed that I contact these people who had wonderful careers and say, tell me about Doctor Who, but it's still going strong. It's 50 years old this year. Uh, so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans listening? Oh, well, I'd say we'll keep on watching, buy the classics when they come out on DVD, because uh, I personally prefer those, because I can understand them. <laughs> Sometimes I can't follow some of the new ones, although they're so spectacular with what they do with them. And I love all the modern doctors. But don't forget the old ones. We, we definitely won't. Well, Margot Hayhoe, thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. I hope that was all right for you. Thanks, Margot. Her charity, you can actually go directly to Princess Alice Hospice at www.pah.org.uk. Next time, it'll be someone else. Bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Code Delta 3. Code Delta 3 to Rog Blake. Get back to us, will you? We need your help. The squadron of pursuit ships will be in attack range in two minutes and 30 seconds. Does the Liberator know that? Confirmed. Ship identified as Rebel Cruiser Liberator. It's showing no signs of life, but we are proceeding with caution. We're turning back towards Traxxas. Towards the satellite screen. It'll blow us apart. Requesting further instruction. Do we board Liberator and take prisoners or destroy the wreck? We are entering the planet's outer atmosphere. Can we do that? Can the hull take it without the force wall? We are about to find out. Blake 7. Drones. I never like funerals. How many have you been to? None. I told you I... Yeah, you don't like them, I understand. Exactly. 